0: Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. Coming up, we talk with Boulder entrepreneur and scientist Larry Gold, founder of the Gold Lab Symposium. It's happening this Thursday and Friday.
1: People got to hear this.
0: And we hear about the challenges and opportunities of seeking better health through big data.
1: In the ideal world, the community, whatever we mean by the community, takes data in every domain and grows knowledge.
0: Larry Gold's research at CU Boulder has spawned many discoveries and commercially successful biotechnology patents. Gold says the goal of his work is to help people lead longer and better lives. As part of that goal for over a decade, he's led the Gold Lab Symposium. It's known for providing cutting edge health science information designed to be understandable by everyone. This year's symposium happens Thursday and Friday. Due to COVID, it will be a Zoom event You can register online at goldlabfoundation.org. Up next, Larry Gold will explain why a scientist named Jesse Gillis will be one of Thursday's speakers at the Gold Lab Symposium. Gillis will talk about a strange-looking Texas animal that's related to anteaters. This unusual mammal always gives birth to four babies with identical DNA, Yet each baby is unique. One might have a blaze on its nose while another has a white patch on its ear. One might be more skittish. One might be larger. So even though the four babies have identical DNA, something always makes them different. That something is known as methylation. Now here's Larry Gold.
1: One day I read a paper, you're going to love this, about armadillos.
0: Wait a second, armadillos, and we're talking about science of health for people? Yep.
1: And I think it's important to understand how weird biology is, because we confront it all the time. And we're going to hear a talk by a scientist named Jesse Gillis.
0: About armadillos, those cute little rats that have snail shells.
1: Yes, those things. We proposed we'd do an experiment with him, which we're still working on. And that's a case where we thought we could help him learn something about what he discovered. Here's what he discovered. Every pregnant armadillo gives birth to four identical quadruplets. The fertilized egg divides once. Now there are two cells. And then those two divide, and now they are four. And then the four split And each one, in every pregnancy, makes a baby.
0: Four babies, every time. Every time.
1: Okay, so that's unusual. But more remarkable, the four babies have identical DNA sequences.
0: And then when you study them, they're different from each other. Wait a second. You said that their genes are exactly the same. How are they different from each other?
1: They're different. That's what Jesse wrote. The DNA sequences are the same, but the epigenetics, the methylations that happen.
0: Methylation is kind of like, are we going to turn that light switch on or off?
1: Let me say a slightly more... uh, Accurate. Thank you. So... Epigenetics used to be something other than methylation, but now it is entirely, in the world of science, methylation. So let's stay with that, okay? The
0: light switch thing.
1: I'm not going to let you call it a light switch. I'm going to make it a little teeny bit more to my liking. When you methylate DNA, there are enzymes in the nucleus of cells that know how to methylate DNA.
0: So within the nucleus where the DNA is, There are enzymes that go, oh, I know how to match this up or switch it on.
1: It's more stochastic and random than you just said. That's the place I'm trying to make you hear how bizarre this is.
0: What is stochastic?
1: Uh, Stochastic means you have marbles in a bowl, and if you pick out one and then you pick out another and then you pick out another and then you put them back and you pick out another, the process by which you pick them randomly... That's what stochastic means. That methylation, it can't turn genes on, like light switches, turn them off. The thing that makes this so interesting, if you were making a list of the dumb things to use to control DNA use, methylation would be low on my list.
0: You're almost describing it like our DNA is a library and somebody goes in and starts to pick out books, and this enzyme is going in randomly and saying, oh, that looks good, that looks good, that looks good. Yeah, and, the,
1: and the only difference between what I think and what you just said is this enzyme is a dope. This enzyme is not making decisions of any kind. It has nothing to do with function. It's just stochastic or random.
0: Is it somewhat comforting to think, as human beings that fumble around and try to do so many things and make some really dopey decisions, that our bodies have some inexplicable ways that they do things, and somehow we're here.
1: There's nothing about life that makes you comfortable. You know, how did it get started? Well, I kind of understand that. But your brain and my brain do different things with information. It's one thing to think about humans as mechanically profound, your heart beats more or less once a second for more or less 80 years. That's a miracle, and here we are. We walk around. We see people walking around. We watch great music being made. We watch the NBA. We do, we watch people behaving in extraordinary ways, and at the bottom of it, just your heart beating once a second for 80 years we can do that math that's a lot of beats
0: it's pretty amazing it's amazing and at the same time you say even at the level of our cells inside the nucleus there are incredibly random instantaneous things happening all the time that are just as amazing or maybe even more amazing. Yes. And this armadillo methylation is part of that. Yes,
1: and it doesn't kill them. They don't all come out dead. I mean, I don't even know what an armadillo is related to. Is it a rat? I have no idea.
0: I'm wondering if it's an opossum in a shell. I I don't know either.
1: I don't know either. All I cared about was this rather extraordinary thing.
0: It is extraordinary, and I'm wondering what difference does this change in these identically DNA little guys do to them.
1: I don't want to steal what Jesse believes, because he's the guy that wrote about this, the paper that I loved. But gee, you know it's tough to make an armadillo baby So let's make four every time.
0: Some of them aren't going to make it. So we need four different varieties. That
1: sort of thing. And then you think, well, let's see if they're all going to be identical at the sequence level but have differences in their methylation patterns and therefore different expression, different personalities, different yin, 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 yin You could think, wow, this is a way to get diversity. So, you know, we humans have all the diversity we need without this card trick that the armadillos have figured out. But it clearly was some sort of evolutionary grab toward numbers and variation and that sort of thing. When I read this paper, I almost fell over because it was so different. So I thought, people gotta hear this.
0: Armadillos are related to anteaters. Jesse Gillis will share his research about armadillos this Thursday as part of the Gold Lab Symposium. You can register online for the symposium at goldlabfoundation.org. I'm Shelley Slender. We're talking to Larry Gold about this year's Gold Lab Symposium. Up next, Larry talks about how a friend and fellow scientist raised a heroic fight against a deadly prostate cancer. Gold says he recently discovered another chapter of heroism related to his friend, and he discovered it while reading The New Yorker magazine.
1: I read The New Yorker. I read it in the sauna. I love The New Yorker. I never read the fiction.
0: I only read the cartoons. There you go. These
1: little cartoons are okay. So I'm reading an article about a young woman. Her name is Molly Burhans. The article touched my heart. She decided that if she could get to the hierarchy in the Catholic Church, she could get the church to be a force for... Health of the Society for Climate Change, and as I'm reading the article, I thought, wait a minute. Molly is the daughter of a speaker we had, Bill Burhan. He was an oncology guy. He was very, very sick, and he gave his presentation from bed with his wife Debbie, helping, and he died. And he gave an extraordinary talk that is on the website. He was my friend. Then he died.
0: That's a reminder that not everything that scientists think that they're going to figure out actually works the way that they hoped.
1: Almost never does.
0: Almost never.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think all the scientists I know, they're more comfortable with failure than most other people. I am. I've had a lot of ideas. Most of them have been stupid I mean, they were stupid the day I said them. Never mind what happened if we spent thirty million dollars on some dumb idea that I was sure was right and that often broke the laws of thermodynamics because that wasn't thinking. So Bill's experiment probably helped him for the six or so years he lived with this terrible disease, and he was a, he's a hero. So we're going to listen to his daughter who got to be a hero because she shows up in the New Yorker. Now, you say, well, Catholic Church and climate change.
0: And And how does this affect health?
1: Yeah, and how, well, it obviously does if you think about climate change. Everything's connected in some way. Plus, how could we not invite her? Because when you read this article,
0: she became a modern hero just like Bill. I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. We're talking with Larry Gold. Gold is a CU Boulder scientist and founder of the Boulder company SomaLogic, which uses innovative blood tests to help monitor health and disease. Gold is also the founder of the annual Gold Lab Symposium. This year, the symposium is virtual to prevent the risk of COVID among participants. You can register online at goldlabfoundation.org. The virtual sessions will be interactive, So you can submit questions or comments to the speakers. The symposium begins this Thursday. Then on Friday, the symposium will focus on computational science, also known as big data. Gold says his interest in big data began in the 1980s.
1: And my little brain in 1982 said, hmm, this is going to be important for thinking about biology. And I've spent... Much of my time, for 40 years, trying to understand how computational science, AI, artificial intelligence, fits into the way we understand biology. How does it help us understand biology better for all the reasons that you can imagine, for medicine and for food and nutrition, all that stuff. Pattern recognition by computations, which is another way of thinking about artificial intelligence. You're sitting in my study looking east, and I've been here awake every morning forever. Seeing sunrises. Seeing every sunrise. So I know where the sun comes up. My little pattern recognition self knows right where it comes. And if it came from the West instead of there, I would be very nervous, okay? Pattern recognition is what humans do. In the early 80s, I started hiring computer scientists to work in my lab. And at your Gold Lab
0: Symposium happening this Thursday and Friday, you'll have the fast-forward into what are these big data people looking at now?
1: That is 100% right. And You're and, looking at the paper. Now. Well, I'm looking at um, We had the whole day, with one small exception at the end, about the intrusiveness of big data, because we're all scared of it in some way that we can't quite understand.
0: Oh, I'm scared of it. And I can tell you is that if I don't believe that my cholesterol level is what defines my health, I'm a little scared that a big data person might say, well, we believe that everybody should be on statins, and if you're not willing to be on statins, you don't get to go to work, and you don't get to have health care. That's the kind of fear that I think people have about big data.
1: I agree that that is what the fear is about.
0: could be big brother data. I'm not
1: disagreeing with you. And one of the talks at the end of the second day is this guy Dan Shefford who's a lawyer from Paris, and he has been himself part of the struggle to get the Internet and the web to be able to forget you. And so he's been involved in lots of those lawsuits so that you can't be hammered to death for something that may have been once true or may not have been, may have just been made up by some jerk somewhere and, and so that's a part of what we all fear.
0: Pre-existing conditions that would bar you from getting health care or bar you from work.
1: Yeah, those would be bad things. On the other hand, on the other hand, pre-existing conditions, genetics of your family, the health care records of your family, in principle, would help. The medical professionals, by which I mean pharmacists and nurses and nurse practitioners and doctors and systems and, you know, all the people that make up this one-sixth of our economy, could, not would, but could help them help you more. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like nuclear energy versus bombs. We're going to talk about that. But more importantly, or as importantly, three of the smartest people I've ever met are going to have a panel discussion. Who are they? I'm going to tell you. One is Larry Hunter from...
0: Larry Hunter from CU Denver.
1: So Larry Hunter has been working on artificial intelligence since it was conceived to exist as a thing called artificial intelligence.
0: He's the guy who comes to your seminars and gives talks that are very interesting, and he looks like a cowboy. I
1: think he would be flattered to think he looks like a cowboy. What he really looks like is a little short, wizened old guy with a ponytail with a brain the size of the moon. I mean, so he's really smart. The other two people who are going to engage in this discussion where is it going what is big data about so there's a woman who's the chief science officer at a place called open ai and the people who hear this should go to the web and look at the open ai website and you would see astonishing things that these people have done
0: Open AI for Open Artificial Intelligence?
1: Yes. Bill Gates invested a billion dollars in open AI. And the third person on this panel, Craig Mundy, who thinks very hard about how do you use big data to even go beyond our human brains. And he has been a consultant for Somalogic.
0: And SomaLogic, your company, hopes that the big data of looking at a drop of blood to see how proteins in it can inform us about our health based on whether the protein is happening more often or less often. You're hoping that a little drop of blood could tell us a lot more than the many complicated tests we have to take right now to look at different parts of how our bodies are working. It'd be a bigger picture about them.
1: All true. The integration of the proteomic data... We measure now 7,000 of the 20,000 proteins. And the idea, it's kind of simple-minded, was the idea from the beginning of Somalogic, was that if you measured the proteins and you measured them accurately and with high precision, you were going to be surprised, like the armadillo, going to be surprised by who the biomarkers are and what you can learn from thinking about those data Seriously, and what Craig and Larry and Mira will say one way or another is yeah, we can think about it as humans, but just like chess, the best chess players in the world now are computers, not people.
0: And so to find out what the patterns are that come from a drop of blood, maybe the computers could do it better. And by the way, Somalogic is not the only group looking to do this. There's competitors. Stanford Research is looking at doing something similar. The Broad Research Institute at Harvard thinks their method is better. You guys aren't the only ones in this game.
1: We were the only ones in the game for a long time. Most people thought the game was unwinnable. We proved that it was winnable. And many people have jumped in, as is proper, to try to beat us, and somebody will maybe do it better. That's okay. What will happen is that the information will help. You can't be smug. I know when we conceived of the method we now use at Somalogy, we conceived of it in 1997. That's a long time ago. You have to be resolute in this game called biotech.
0: The other part, though, is that uh, since 1997, you've been looking at this, and I still can't go in, give you a drop of my blood. You can now. I can now?
1: You have to go to the right doc in Boulder. There are half a dozen of them. And you go in, and you give them some money, and you get all your data.
0: But you see, when you say all your data, do you really get all of it, or do you get just a little panel of what the FDA says would be appropriate proteins for me to know about? Could I see all... What did you say, 7,000 of them? Or does the FDA at this point decide, well, you can see 10?
1: I mean, that's a very important question. And, you know, and the, again, the dilemma is that if you tell people everything and some of it pushes them in the wrong direction, you could end up doing something that was a little bit harmful. You have to be careful.
0: If it pushes them in the wrong direction or if it pushes them in the socially, politically, medically judged direction that's not the standard of care direction. We're talking about the pros and cons of big data again.
1: Yes, that's why I'm so interested in big data. Big data, first of all, has to be accurate. It has to be open to surprises. This is not going to be simple.
0: Okay. No, it's not. You have this great technology, and so do some other people, but it doesn't necessarily mean well, it's that... the
1: second time you've said that. And we spend our lives <laughs> thinking about the competition and admire it and know all of the facts here. So I'm a big fan of competition.
0: But I'm also seeing already that there's the science of what's happening, and then there's the translation into what is digestible And usable by the average person? And what do we need to protect them from in terms of knowledge that maybe the FDA says, well, we can't tell them about this or that. You can only tell them about these few things about their bodies because we don't have a standard of care yet for what these other things mean. If
1: the FDA went through this with 23andMe, as you know, it will take some time to settle out in a good way.
0: So if I'm asking these questions just as i sitting here talking, looking at your beautiful view, could it be that there'll be a lot of questions from the audience about this section that you'll have at the Gold Lab Symposium on Friday about big data and its applications? Yeah,
1: we're hoping. We're hoping. And more so, if I get to run these symposia for another decade, which I would like to do, we will never stop thinking about the question of how does big data help
0: if i get a drop of my blood and send it to you all and you you analyze it
1: it. you have to send it to a doc
0: okay so if i find a doc who can do this
1: we have their names of
0: course could could they slip me the whole thing all seven thousand? would that be okay and they could just say these 10 or 12 or whatever they are this is what we think the standard of care says about whether they're in normal range or not but here's the rest and we don't know what they mean but take a look
1: it, it's, it's a wonderful question, and I don't know the answer to how we would handle that. I think the thing that has characterized many of our conversations over the years is that you wanted data, more data, 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 as fast as one could get it. And you love, and I do too, the idea that people like Bill Burhans, who worked on his own therapeutic choices— but from a background very different than yours, and even very different from mine. He knew a ton that I didn't know. How you figure out how to get the consumers involved in a proper way is a real discussion. I don't know, and it'll be a discussion made by Roy and the others at and the and the world, and the FDA, and God knows who. So this is a real discussion not to be trivialized. It's trivialized when you say, well, if protein X is up tenfold, you've got, uh, that's trivial, okay? But saying to people, make the best of the data, the overwhelming data set that we have on you, and what if, we, uh, if we've if we done that you know, every year for 10 years?
0: And what if it was an open set where you didn't have people's names identified, but it's an open set so that everybody looks at it, and you can have those independent thinkers and those people way brighter than me looking at it and saying, wait a second, we're looking for a pattern here. And we're seeing this pattern that most people haven't thought of, but we think it's there.
1: Yeah. So I think in the ideal world, the community, whatever we mean by the community, takes data in every domain and grows knowledge. It's really the question of From big data to big knowledge, that's really what we're talking about. You know, I'm not trying to run away from it. I think these are unanswerable questions for the moment. There will be a decade of, you know, give and take until we all figure out, for all health data, what is really important for people to
0: live healthier lives. So your Gold Lab Symposium that's happening this Thursday and Friday is a way for anybody who wants to to open the door and take a peek at some of these questions. What's coming? I'm Shelley Schlender. We'll share an extended version of this interview and a transcript on our website, which is howonearthradio.org. Larry Gold is a CU Boulder scientist and founder of the annual Gold Lab Symposium. You can register online at goldlabfoundation.org. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Joel Parker. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from the Philip Glass Symphony, Heroes. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.